Thank you. That's brilliant. Does, does it make you feel better to know that in Eastbourne it's also miserable this morning? It's, uh, even though it's known as the Sunshine Coast, this morning it's the Unshine Coast, so oh well. My Australian family thinks it's hilarious that Eastbourne is called the Sunshine Coast. We have a Sunshine Coast in Australia. It's located about five kilometres from the centre of the sun, and uh, you can hear your skin audibly crackling there. Um, not so much here, but uh, it's great to be here. Um, why don't I pray for us as we dive down into God's Word? If you've got Bibles, we'll, we'll have a look at Philippians 2 two in a second, but why don't I pray for us as we hear from God through his word. Father God, we praise you that we can come to you as children and hear your fatherly voice. So please, through your word, show us Jesus so that in his face we know what you are truly like and we know what we are truly like. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I've got a big question to ask you. The question is this, what is life? Is it a comedy or is it a tragedy? What do you think life is? Is life a comedy or is it a tragedy? Now I'm not asking the question, is life a barrel of laughs? We all know that life is not a barrel of laughs by and large. I'm not asking, do you think there are more jokes in life or is there more pain in life? Probably more pain, right? But I'm asking a more specific question than is life full of laughter or not. I'm asking about the shape of life. You see, in literature, comedy and tragedy, they have technical meanings. Okay, Dante, who wrote the Divine Comedy back in the Middle Ages, the Italian poet, he said that a, a comedy is a story that begins in pain, but it ends in joy. Notice the shape. You go down into pain and you finish on a high, right? Smiley face. Ah, easy to remember. A comedy is a smiley face. You go down into the pit, but somehow there's some kind of happily ever after. That's a comedy. Tragedy is the very opposite. Turn that smile upside down to the frown, right? And for the, for the frowny face, what is the tragic life? The tragic life is to climb up in the world, to get on top, to enjoy your brief moment in the sun, And then it all ends by falling into a pit, the end. That's a tragedy, right? So you might know as you you were studying Shakespeare at school, did you study a Shakespeare play or two at school? And your your English teacher might have taught you that uh, uh, Shakespeare's tragedies, they, they all end with deaths, right? They all end with deaths. So, you know, you might think of Romeo and Juliet. It was looking quite hopeful for a little bit. And then right at the end, tragedy. Everybody's dead on stage. You, you go to Macbeth or you go to Hamlet, and at the end, you've got all these actors just piled up on stage trying to not look like they're breathing so heavily because they've just had this sword fight. Blood is everywhere. What do you call that? You call it a tragedy, even though there might have been some jokes along the way in Hamlet, for instance. Um, of course, your high school English teacher had to teach you that there were jokes in there. They had to point them out and say, uh, Hamlet here is making a joke. And uh, you hadn't noticed, had you? <laughs> I hadn't noticed. I just wrote it down in my exercise book. Hamlet is making a joke, apparently. Uh, you put that in the exam and you pass, right? But uh, in Hamlet, there are jokes, right? You, there is an upward movement. There's a brief moment in the sun. But at the end, it's tragic. Everybody's dead. It's a tragedy. 
But in Shakespeare's comedies, you know how a Shakespeare comedy ends? Do you know how every single one of Shakespeare's 14 comedy ends? Comedies end? Do you know how they end? What happens at the end of a Shakespeare comedy? Anyone know? Take a guess. What's the, what's the ultimate have happily ever after? Wedding. Wedding, right? Yeah. Some of you are a bit cynical about that. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a happily ever after. Um, if so, there's marriage counseling available after this service, I'm sure. But... Uh, The classical happily ever after is the guy and the girl, they get together, finally. And there's a wedding, and there's a song, and there's a feast, and it lasts for a whole month. That's the happily ever after, right? You've gone down into the pit, and there's been all all sorts of trial and trauma, but in the end, there is union and communion and feasting and joy. That's the shape of the comedy, the smiley face. Okay, so now we've got the shape of things, okay? Let me ask the question again. What is life? Is life a tragedy or a comedy? Now, I think you have to admit that apart from this old-fashioned book called the Bible, apart from this story, life is totally tragic, isn't it? Apart from this story that's being told, this Jesus story, apart from that story... Life is totally tragic. You know it's totally tragic because your life does not finish with a wedding. Your life finishes with a funeral. So what what would they call it if your life was a Shakespeare play? They'd call your life a tragedy. They would. No matter how much joy happened along the way, no matter how many achievements and successes you might have had, no matter how much you might have climbed up in the world and enjoyed your brief moment in the sun, you, like me, start to find ourselves getting over the hill and then we tem- tumble down into the grave and what do you call that? I call that a tragedy. And actually, life without Jesus is totally tragic. It just is. And actually, the story that people tell about your life out there in the world, it's totally tragic. The story that people tell out in the world is that you and I are biological survival machines, aren't we? We are just DNA replicating machines. We are wet robots. That's what you and I are. We're clinging to an insignificant rock. We're hurtling through a meaningless universe towards eternal extinction. But at least Starbucks have a new flavored latte, so that's, that's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah. And we're doing up the kitchen, uh, so that's something to look forward to, isn't it? And we're going somewhere nice on our holidays, you know. Is that, a, is that a hope? No, that is your brief moment in the sun. As you are this biological survival machine clinging to an insignificant rock, hurtling through a meaningless universe towards eternal extinction. What do you call that? It's a tragedy. And actually, all, all of advertising, no matter how glossy advertising is, it's actually selling you the tragedy. It's actually saying you need to climb and grab and take and get and be on top and have all the experiences and have all the stuff and the gizmos and the outfits and the status. You need to climb up, loser you, because, you know, you'll be dead a long time. So you you better get what you can now, right? Our entire economy is built on this. All advertising is built on this. And you you know it's built on this because no one wants to get to the end of the story in our culture, we've got, we've got no time for the elderly anymore, do we? In our culture. I mean, it's, it, that, that is tragic. You know, it, it used to be that you know, more traditional cultures have honored the place of the elderly and 
honoured their wisdom and their experience. But these days, whenever I hear about the elderly in my Facebook you know, news feed, the only stories I ever hear about are when old people act like young people. That's the only time that they are noteworthy. You know? So you, you read about the 70-year-old who runs the marathon, and everyone says, isn't that brilliant? Aren't old people amazing? What old people can do? Isn't that, isn't that brilliant how old people can act like 20-year-olds? Like, really? That's, that's why you value the 70-year-old? Because he can run the marathon? Or the 80-year-olds who are into breakdancing, or the 90-year-olds are into speed dating or something? We, we only hear about the elderly when they act like young idiots, Right? We don't, we don't value the elderly because we don't think the story ends well. So we don't want to go to that end of the story, do we? We want to stay right at the beginning of the story. We've got such a cult of youth, don't we? An incredible cult of youth. You know, you go to your, your magazine shop, you go to your news agents, and you, and you look at all these magazine covers, and they are, they are just plastered with 17-year-old models who look like 12-year-old girls who are trying to sell you on the, how to prevent the 12 signs of aging, right? And you think, what? why is this, this girl who, who looks like she's 12 years old, she's trying to sell me on the anti-aging creams? And you know you've got a real cult of youth when that is what you hold up on your glossy magazines. And the reason we have a cult of youth is we don't want to get to the end of the story. And we don't want to get to the end of the story because we know it's a tragedy and it does not end well. And then you think, oh, well, Glenn, you're a, you're a Christian minister, okay? You're a Bible guy. So you're just going to want to bring in religion as the answer to all this. Uh, not really. Not really. I mean, you, you go round to the various worldviews and religions and you ask them, are you a comedy or are you a tragedy? And you get what might be to you a, a surprising answer. So you go to Islam and you ask, okay, in Islam, is there any hope for these bodies in this world? Right? Is, is there any hope for the world in Islam? And actually, no, within Islam, if you're a good Muslim, you might get to paradise. But the world goes to hell, right? The world just burns up in flames. And you might get this very unearthly kind of paradise if you've been a good boy or a good girl, right? But, but there's no hope for this world in Islam. There's not. Or you go to the Eastern religions and you, and you ask, is there any hope for these bodies and this world in the Eastern religions? And, and the answer is no, actually... In Hinduism and Buddhism, you, your whole goal is to, at the end of all things, after you've gone through your cycles of, of incarnation and reincarnation, these cycles of samsara, you want to get to nirvana, right? Do you know what nirvana is? Nirvana is the word for being blown out like a candle. It's literally the word for a snuffed out candle. That's what, that's what your hope is in the Eastern religions. That's your hope. Non-existence is your hope dissolving into the ocean of being like a drop of water in the sea. That is the great hope. Again, you, you make Shakespeare write that play, you know what you've got on your hands. You've got a tragedy, right? So you go to atheism and you ask, is there any hope for these bodies in this world? No. You go to Islam, is there any hope for these bodies in this world? No. You go to the Eastern religions, is there any hope for these bodies in this world? No. And you come to this story... And you've got your one and only hope for the happily ever after. This is it. Right? We're, we're sinking down into the, into the quicksand. And there's only one person who's even promised to get us out. There's, there's only one person who's even offering 
to give us a happily ever after. So I don't know what you make of Jesus this morning. If, if you're here this morning and you're just checking things out, do you see the stakes? Do, do you see how important it would be to check out whether this story is true? Because without this story, your life is tragic. Without this story, all life is tragic. Okay? Does that give you some incentive for looking at this story? I think it should give us a little bit of incentive. Why don't we dive down into it? I, I, I want to show you from Philippians chapter 2, the grand comedy. What we're looking at here, uh, first of all from verses 5 to 11, we're going to look at the great smiley face, the great shape of the comedy. We're going to look at Christianity 101 and show you that as opposed to all the other worldviews that we've ever come up with, there is one person who gives you hope and his name is Jesus. Let's have a look. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 Paul is writing to a, a fractious church with disputes and factions. And he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you notice that shape, the U shape, the smiley face? We, we begin on high with the triune God. We descend down to the depths, even the depths of the cross, and then God raises Jesus, and then he raises us up with Jesus to a happily ever after. Here is the comedy shape. Do you think it might be true? You see, if you're not yet a Christian, and you start to think this story is true, it'll transform your life. And if you are a Christian, you know what? You need to be convinced again that this story is true. You need to be convinced again about the comedy because if you're anything like me, every day you are tempted to live the tragedy. Every day you are tempted to get up and try and climb and grab and take and scratch and get. You're after status and experience and stuff and money and sex and power. You want to get on top, right? You want to climb up in the world. You want to fill yourself up with experiences and achievements and status. and all. You, that's, that's the kind of life that you and I are tempted to live every day. So, you know what? I'm a Christian. I still need to be converted by this story. I need to be converted to the comedy. Otherwise, I'll just live the tragedy. So let's try and get converted again to this comedy life that Jesus gives us. Verse 6, we begin with Jesus on high, and it says he's equal to God his Father. So the, the, the picture that the Bible has of Jesus is that he was there before the world began. Okay, I'm, I'm always saying this, but he did not just invent a religion. He invented the universe. Okay, He was there in the beginning on high. The Father was always pouring the love and joy of the Spirit into Jesus and onto Jesus. And that was life before the world began. Light and life and love. We begin on high and Jesus is there. 
Christ Jesus was there in the beginning. That's why I love the word that Joanne brought earlier about the Bible. And like, do you ever find the Bible a really difficult book? And you, yeah, it is. It is a bit like a roller sellotape. What's my way in? It, it seems to be this kind of this circle of trust. How do I get in on the circle of trust? Where do I find the way in? And it's Jesus. She's right. It's Jesus. It's Jesus from Genesis to Revelation because he was there in the beginning. Jesus is not just like the footballer who comes on in extra time and scores the winner, okay? He's like the player, coach, manager, okay? He's there from line one of the Bible. And, you know, I, I, I tell you what, I, I do have this book, long story short. It is about Jesus being there right from the beginning and being the very epicenter of faith. And I tell you what, if that's, if that's a big issue for you, and, you, and you, if you don't yet like the Bible, okay? Let's put it that way. If you don't like the Bible, I want to show you that Jesus is the heart and soul of it. So just come up and ask me for a book. I'll give you that one for free, okay? But Jesus has been there from the very beginning. Christ Jesus there before the world began. And yet, verse 6 says, Being equal to the Father, he makes himself nothing and pours himself out. And I love, I love that. It's because he is in very nature God... Therefore, he pours himself out. Now, don't do what I used to do with this Bible verse. I used to misread this, and I used to think, Jesus, in spite of being God, decides to pour himself out and be humble and a servant. Isn't that great of Jesus? In spite of being in very nature God, he decides to take a holiday from all that kind of godness. And for 33 years, he actually acted as if he was a servant. He was like the, you know, the prince who dressed up like the pauper for a little bit. And just sort of tried on service for size. Just for a few years, you know, to figure out how the other half live, Right. And then he kind of gave up his pauper clothes and went back to being God Almighty, right? That's not what this says, right? But that's, that's kind of how I used to misread this. I used to think that Paul was saying, in spite of being God, he served. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, because he's in very nature God, therefore he serves. Oh, that's an interesting God, don't you think? You see, because God is a fountain of light and life and love... What does a fountain do? Pours itself out, right? See, as Jesus comes to planet Earth and as he stoops and serves and suffers and bleeds and dies, he is not taking a holiday from his godness. He is expressing his godness. You've never seen anything more divine than when you see Jesus stooping, serving, suffering, bleeding and dying on the cross. That is an expression of what it means to be God. Wow. See, what, what God did you have in your mind? When I say the word God, where, where does your mind go? Well, I think in the Bible, a good place to go is to think of a fountain. So Jeremiah chapter 2, he, he pictures the Lord as a fountain of living waters. But then you think, where do you see the fountain expressed most purely? You see the fountain when you see it poured out. And where do you see God most fully? You see God most fully when you see him poured out with every drop of his blood. That's the very nature of God. Being in very nature God. Because he is in very nature God. Therefore he stoops. Therefore he serves. Therefore he suffers. Therefore he dies. 
He does not consider equality with God something to be grasped, right? Something to be used to his own advantage. That's the tragic life. Okay, God has never been a tragic God. He's never thought that life is about climbing up in the world. It's never been about getting on top, getting out from under, enjoying your brief moment in the sun. It's not about grasping. The life of heaven is not about grasping. Our life is. Ever since Adam, our life has been about taking, whether we're meant to take it or not. We just take. We want to get. We want to climb. Jesus expresses the nature of God, not by grasping, but by gracing us with his very love and mercy and with his service. So he makes himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, you could say even a slave, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see, do you see the way he's coming down into the pit? Because here you and I are, we're in a pit, a pit of our own making, because we've run away from the light and so we're in the darkness. We've run away from the life source and so we're experiencing a living death. We've run away from love. So we're living this life of disconnection, hating and being hated. And this is, it can be a hell of a life, can't it? Living in this pit of darkness and death and disconnection. But what does love do when love sees the beloved in trouble? Love says, your pit will be my pit. Your darkness will be my darkness. Your debts will be my debts. Isn't that what love says? Hmm. Love the work of CAP. Don't you love the work of CAP, Christians Against Poverty? Such a Christian organization, right? Because what are they doing? They're living the comedy. Getting alongside people. Are you in debt? Let me get alongside you. And it's not the case of, you know, we're the Christians who've got it all together. We look down on you. Oh, poor benighted you and in trouble. And it's not that at all, is it? It's, it's getting alongside shoulder to shoulder, walking through the trouble shouldering the burden together and then up out the other side. That's, that's living the comedy, isn't it? It's a thoroughly Christian thing to do, to see someone in debt. And you know, the most Christian thing to do is, you know, you know the prince and the pauper stories that we tell? You know, the, there's the prince on high and he, and he sets his love on a, a pauper princess. You know that's, those, those sorts of stories? And then it's a, it's a great rags to riches tale, isn't it? The, the, the pauper becomes a princess instantly because she's married to the prince. It's wonderful, isn't it? All her debts go to him and he absorbs them. And all his riches go to her. You know, that's, that's the Christian story in a nutshell, isn't it? Here we are in a pit. Here we are in debt. And here is the lover of your soul who comes and says, all that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you. That's what you say in marriage vows, isn't it? All that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you. You know, when my wife and I got married, we said those vows to each other as, as we we're exchanging the rings and all our friends in the congregation are laughing, literally laughing out loud. Like not, not just a, a polite chuckle. Everyone's like, ha! all that Glenn has. Yeah, right. And then when Emma says, and all that I am I give to you, they knew that we were in such debt. That, you know, we had all these student loan repayments and it was just, you know, all my debt, honey, I give to you. And then she was very gracious. No, no, you have all my debt. We just merged debt. It was brilliant. You know. But what about this marriage? You're in serious spiritual debt with God. You're a, you're a runaway from the love of God. Okay, you're in serious spiritual debt. 
Here comes the lover of your soul, and he says, all that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you. And he takes your debt and he absorbs it on the cross. What is the cross? It's Jesus absorbing your debt. Father, And having received all your debt, he gives you all his riches. He gives you his father to be your father. He gives you his spirit to be your spirit. He gives you his future to be your future. It's for free and it's forever. Do you want that? Friend, if you're not a believer this morning, call out to Jesus right now. This is the only good news story in the world. This is the only hope for those in the pit. But here is the lover of your soul, and he comes down to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, I love verse 9, therefore, God looks at that, and, and he raises Jesus to the highest place to give him the name that is above every name. It's kind of, it's not quite this, but it's almost the idea of God sort of looking around planet Earth, saying, now what is it that pictures my true God, Godness, right? What is it that pictures my true divine nature? And he sees Jesus pouring himself out with every drop of his blood, and he says, that. Everybody, that, that's what it means to be God. Raises up Jesus, still bearing the scars of his crucifixion to be Lord of all. He vindicates the comedy. He shows the world not only that Jesus is Lord. Yes, Jesus is Lord. He was Lord before the world began. He doesn't just vindicate that Jesus is Lord. He also vindicates that the comedy is the true way of life. And one day, everyone will see that. One day... Say verses nine, 10 and 11. One day the whole world will see at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a happily ever after, right? There is Jesus who will raise up everyone connected to him. Everyone connected to him. And the whole world will be invited in to bow to the Lord Jesus. It's more than invited though, isn't it? And it's not just etiquette to bow at this point, is it? When the whole world sees Jesus, there won't be any royal handlers who will come in and say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, when the Son of God appears, uh, it would be polite if men could bow and if women could curtsy. Like, it's, it's not etiquette, okay? It's inevitable. When you see the uncreated glory of Jesus, when you see the God who's gone to hell and back for you, just the breath will be pressed out of you. Your, your limbs will hang loose. Your knees will buckle and you will be flat on your face saying, he is Lord, he is Lord. He's risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you love Jesus and if you have embraced his comedy, it will be heaven to bow. It will be heaven to bow, won't it? Because you, you, you know that bowing is not the end of the story. Bowing is part of then being raised up again on your feet and walking shoulder to shoulder into Christ's kingdom purposes. For you to bow will be heaven because you love Jesus. Of course Jesus is Lord. But if you do not love Jesus, and if you're committed to the tragedy, it will be hell to bow, won't it? held to bow. If you're, if you're committed to getting on top, then bowing is, well, that's the unhappily ever after, isn't it? And the world will be gathered towards Jesus, and for some it will be heaven to bow, for some it will be hell to bow. What about you? Do you see Jesus, the lover of your soul? Do you see his comedy, and do you want to embrace it? In a minute, I'm going to 
pray a prayer that if you want to come in on this comedy, you can pray it. But our passage continues, and I I want this word to be for all of us, because I need to be converted to the comedy, and and Paul knows I need to be converted to the comedy. And so he keeps going, and, and having described the outgoing God, Paul then talks about our outgoing life. See if you can notice these four outs that Paul talks about in the Christian life. There's four ways in which our life is an outgoing life. So Philippians 2 from verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according uh, to his good pleasure. See, you work it out. Paul doesn't say work for your salvation. That would be nonsense. You can't work for your salvation. You're in a pit. He just comes and meets you. You can't work for your salvation. He works something into you. God gives you Jesus in the middle of your pit. And now he says, work out what it means to have Jesus in your life. Do you know know what that means? It means work out what it means to live the comedy in every area of your life. So in marriage, how do I suffer, serve, and sacrifice? For my other half. How, how do I do that? How do I suffer, serve, and sacrifice? How do I? Because that's what it is. You've been invited into the comedy. You have not been invited into some kind of sanctified tragedy where now Jesus just helps you to climb and grab and scratch and take and get on top. That is not the life. Okay? Don't come to Jesus to then try and live that tragic life. Okay? You come to Jesus to live the comedy life, right? Where you pour out for your other half. Or in your singleness, how do you use your singleness to pour yourself out in service to the church and the kingdom? Or in your office, how do you pour yourself out? How do you, how do you serve and suffer and sacrifice and make yourself lesser that others might become greater? That's what it is to work out your salvation. Paul then says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Okay? When you start living the comedy, you'll really stick out. Okay? When you start serving and sacrificing and and going the path of meekness and humility... That will really stick out. And you'll feel like you're sticking out like a sore thumb. And Paul says, no, you're not sticking out like a sore thumb. You're you're shining out like a star against a black backdrop. And you're meant to be different. Christians, I need to remind myself, Glenn, I need to be different. In a world that is grasping, in a world that is trying to get on top, in a world that is out for number one, I need to be different. And as I'm different, it will make a difference. You might feel like you're just a pinprick of light in your workplace. Everyone else is grumbling and arguing. And you're standing against the gossip culture in your office. And you feel like, oh, I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. Or if I'm shining, it's just a pinprick of of, of light. And Paul says, yeah, but against a black backdrop, a pinprick of light really draws the eye, doesn't it? Really attracts people. So he says, work out your salvation. Shine out the way of Jesus. Hold out the word of life. Paul talks about how we are to hold out the word of life. I don't don't know how you feel about the word of life coming into your conversation. So often we think, if I drop the name of Jesus into a conversation, it feels like a, a sack of rocks just dropping into the middle of the dinner table or something, doesn't it? But no, it's a word of life. It's, it's, it's not like a rock. It's like seed, like seed as you drop 
these words into your conversation. I don't know if you were here last Saturday. We, we thought about sort of four different sentences you can have up your sleeve. You can catch up on that on, on the podcast if you, if you haven't heard that. But all sorts of things that you can use in conversation. You can, you can ask people, you know, what gets you thinking about the big stuff in life? You can ask people, what gets you up in the morning? You can ask people, what gets you down in the dumps? You can ask, what gets you through when life is difficult? Right? Dropping in words of life. What gets you thinking? What gets you up? What gets you down? What gets you through? You can use words. You can say, this is what I love about Jesus. This is what I love about Christianity. This is what I love about my church. I couldn't have gotten through this part of my life without Jesus. These are words that you drop into, into conversation. And those words are not like an asteroid crash landing into a conversation. It's seed. You're planting seed. You're holding out the word of life. And then Paul says, I am being, in verse 17, poured out like a drink offering. Isn't that interesting, being poured out? You know, we, we so often think, don't we? Life is just about filling up and I want to get this amount of experience and this amount of performance and I want to get this amount of money and sex and power and status and filling up and that's what life's about isn't it but if my life's about filling up and I want to walk among you how free am I I'm not very free am I because I I just keep on wanting to get more don't I I keep on wanting to grasp onto things, cling onto things. And Paul says, I've discovered the secret of freedom, the secret of all contentment. Pour it out. Just pour it out. Your life is poured out. And now, now I'm free. Now I can walk among you. Now I can live. And I can live the comedy. Because that's what it is. Jesus has poured his life out to us. We receive that life in our emptiness. He fills us up and then we pour ourselves out for the world. In this way, the world will be one. It'll be one to the way of Jesus. Let me, um, let me pray for us now. And I, I, just, I just love to close by offering two prayers that people might want to pray. And, and one prayer is a prayer you can pray if you just want to come in on the comedy for the first time. If you want to call Jesus Lord now. And then the second prayer is just to pray out of us to continue to be converted to Jesus' way of pouring out. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I recognize that I am in darkness. I recognize that I need the light of Jesus. Father, I thank you he came. I thank you that he took my darkness on the cross and I thank you that he rose again to give me hope Father I want Jesus in my life send your spirit to me that I might walk in the way of Jesus the way of sacrifice and service the way of the true comedy may I walk with Jesus through this life and out to his happily ever after Amen. And a prayer for all of us. Father, so often we live the grasping life and we keep ourselves to ourselves. Father, forgive us. Cleanse us. Set us on our feet again and give us joy that we might pour ourselves out in the service of others, knowing that this is the way of Jesus. This is the great comedy. Lord, 
May this church be known as the church that pours itself out for High Wycombe and sees many one to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.